Welcome to the HEAL podcast for all things related to Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. I'm Mimi McLean, Mama 5, founder of Lyme 360 and a Lyme warrior. Tune in each week to hear from doctors, health practitioners, and experts to hear about their treatments, struggles, and triumphs to help you on your healing journey. I'm here to heal with you. Hi, welcome back to the HEAL podcast. This is Mimi, and today we have Dr. Kerry Stasek. Dr. Kerry is a naturopath doctor in Norwalk, Connecticut. Coming from a family with a strong medical background, Dr. Kerry knew she wanted to go into medicine from an early age. After attending the Reconnective Healing Seminar by Dr. Eric Pearl, she realized the profound effects holistic therapies can have on an individual, emphasizing the importance of natural medicine and working on the mind, body, and soul. Soon after, she began following her true inner calling and became a doctor of naturopathic medicine. By actively listening with a caring heart and approaching each case with an open mind, Dr. Carey collaborates with her patients to determine the underlying cause of their conditions. She guides her patients to use nature cure therapies that facilitates the natural healing process of the body. Dr. Carey, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. The first question I want to dive in, which I think a lot of people would love to kind of learn the details or the difference between a naturopath and an MD, a medical doctor. Yeah. So I feel like over the past 20 years or more, we've definitely seen an increase in consumer demand for safe and effective and cost-effective natural therapies. People now are wanting healthcare that has less side effects and have safer, less invasive outcomes. So what naturopathic does is it gives us that space to give patients kind of a patient-centered care that focuses on restoring the body, bringing vitality back to the body to allow for healing and restoration of health. Naturopathic doctors are educated in a four-year degree, like medical school, so you need to do an undergraduate degree and then four years additional training, and you have to attend accredited naturopathic medical college. There are degrees out there in unlicensed states that allow naturopaths to just go to an online college where they may have gotten credits in, you know, natural therapies and herbology and things like that. And they can sometimes call themselves naturopaths, um, but they haven't actually attended a naturopathic medical college where they've gotten a degree and they can therefore send a person for labs, diagnostic procedures, ultrasounds, things like that. In the state of Connecticut, we're fully allowed to diagnose and treat illnesses. And in other states, we do, depending on what state you're in, we do have more extensive rights. We do do vitamin IVs or even sometimes recommending antibiotics or other pharmaceuticals. We do get pharmaceutical training. So basically what naturopathic medicine is about is just helping the body return to its natural state of health by addressing things as poor diet, digestive issues and complaints, helping with chronic stress and mental emotional issues, and really helping to balance out the body using herbs and homeopathic remedies. That's great. Thank you. Now, how do you primarily diagnose a patient? So if I were to come into your office, which I have, how would you, where do you start? So first we send a detailed intake form to the patient. Our offices visits are about for a new patient, two to two and a half hours long. They're quite extensive as you probably remember. So 
we have the person bring in a full intake form. We go through them. We go through a very detailed history and present illness. So we can make sure we have all the ins and outs of what's going on. And then from there, we also evaluate any blood work that the patient has had or has gotten prior to the visit. So we evaluate even things. I try to look at blood work, not just from out of ranges, but within that range, where are you? So I have an optimal range within ranges. So are you within the optimal range or are you just barely in the range? So that means that you're not quite sick enough yet to be out of the range, but there's still something going on. So we try to look at and evaluate labs very precisely. And then we have a machine called the Syra. A Syra is a bioenergetic testing machine that allows for us to intelligently ask the body questions. And what I mean by that is we send basically biofrequencies through the body that resonate with the body. So anytime, if you're familiar with any type of ultrasound frequencies or anything like that, what's happening is, is that frequencies coming into your body, interacting with the tissue or bone that is there in the body, our fluid levels, and then giving a picture image back. The frequencies get bounced back and then it picks up a picture. So the same thing kind of happens. We have you hold these probes that then make a kind of a complete circuit to the body. We send a frequency in through one part of the body. It goes up through the sensory nerves, interacts with our brain and gives a motor, our body gives a motor response back. So anytime you touch something, even with your eyes closed, you feel it your sensory nerves in your hand are giving a response to the brain. If it's too hot or too sharp or it's, you know, your body's nervous or scared that it's going to be injured, your body will have a motor response and pulling your hand back very instantaneously. So what happens is we're using that same arc and the probes actually can pick up the chemical changes in the skin that happen when your body has a positive response. Another way of noticing this is when we do like, let's say um, when police or anything like that kind of do a lie detector test. What they're testing for is the heart rate variability. They're trying to see when someone's telling a lie, is their heart rate starting to increase slightly? You know, is it becoming a little more erratic or do they start sweating? Do they start having those sympathetic responses that their body automatically gives when they get nervous? So the body then is always kind of when you're in that sympathetic response and your body's noticing something that it's triggering, that that frequency triggers it, it goes into that sympathetic response and the probes can pick that up. That's really interesting. I mean, I think this concept of energy is very new to a lot of people. I mean, you don't see this machine. I think you probably have one of the only ones in Connecticut. And I think that's why I came to you. I was looking, I came across, I don't know if it was a Dr. McCullough article or somebody was writing about the machine and I looked it up. And there was one person in Connecticut and it was you. And I, I think there's maybe one in California. So it's, it's interesting that it's not as prevalent as you would think it would be for as, as simplistic as it is. And it, it gives you a lot of results. Like when I did it, you know, within two hours, you had a pretty accurate account of what was going on in your body, um, which then you can validate right through blood tests. Yeah. But like, yeah. why is it not like, why do you think it's not more accepted or it's kind of like thermography, um, right? Time-consuming, you know what I mean? So yes. the appointments are two hours. There's a lot of testing, so it's very time-consuming. And then at, at the end of the day, you know, healthcare is still a business. So people mm-hmm. then, doctors have to manage how much time versus how much cost. Once you start getting into higher costs, people then start being like, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, you want to be time-effective, so time is money. So 
they want to see more people. That's probably the first reason. The second reason I would say is because I don't think it's widely known in the United States, just how naturopathic physicians, I mean, think about how many doctors and naturopathic medicine is still coming on, but how many doctors are in Connecticut and then how many naturopaths are in Connecticut? There are probably, let's say 150 naturopaths in Connecticut, and that might be on the high side. And how many physicians? There's probably 150 physicians in Stanford, especially these group practices. So, you know, I mean, largely unknown in medical school, they don't really get taught anything about energy or diet, which is crazy. I mean, we've all known that we've eaten something that didn't agree with our stomachs and how much of that's had an effect on us, even just acutely. And so when people have poor diets for long standing, it can definitely have negative impacts on your health. A lot of MDs in medical school have nutrition classes. If they get nutrition, they a lot of times take that in extraneous classes. They go and they want to learn more about diet or they just know from general knowledge of reading and self-awareness, but they don't actually get nutrition classes. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Um, I think a lot of energy in the conventional world is still kind of on the woo-woo side which is unfortunate. I think in Europe, like this technology was developed in Germany. And so in Europe, I feel like they use tons of homeopathy. You can get homeopathy in pharmacies, you know, here, Whole Foods, you know, you can get homeopathic remedies, but if you go to a CVS or a Walgreens, they don't really have homeopathic remedies. They might have some supplements, but even the supplements they have are poor quality. And so that's a whole nother thing of looking at a quality of a supplement. If someone's saying like, well, I take my fish oil from Costco and, you know, I've heard fish oil is supposed to help with joint pain that I don't notice anything. It's like, okay, well, supplements are not approved by the FDA. So mm-hmm. what happens is, is anyone could put anything in a supplement and, and say, this could help. They can't say it definitely can help, but they label it as a potential. Could this could help with these conditions or, you know, this has this in it, but no one third party is there to regulate it. A lot of the more expensive brands hire third parties to regulate and make sure all of their supplements have the exact same dosage and they have in what they have in them, what they state that the label has in it. And they use third party to even test if their fish oil has heavy metals or plastics or any of this stuff that we also now have to be aware of in this world because of toxicities and pollution and all these other things that happen. So there's a lot to be aware of than just you know, taking a supplement from anywhere, there's definitely better brands that have more effectiveness and different levels of fish oils and different levels of supplements that I think really can make a difference in someone's health. Right. That's true. Can we go back to the energy? I want to ask questions. So I have also had done um, muscle testing by other naturopath doctors. Is that the same thing just on a smaller scale? It is. It is a muscle testing. When you're doing muscle testing, you can only test one variable at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, they test one homeopathic first, they, you know, kind of do a control step and then they test one homeopathic at a time. Now with the machine, the benefits of the machine is that I can test thousands of things within 20, 30 minutes. So the frequencies your body is sending at it is going very fast. And cause your body can react within a second. Like I said, you see something, you see your kid dart out in the street, you're reacting in 0.2 seconds to grab your kid to make sure he's safe. You know, right. your body has instantaneous, it can re- 
reacted the second. So your body can handle frequencies that fast. But for a person to be able to read, you know, he could only test me, you know, maybe, you know, 40 things at a most, if you're there for a while to test. The, the thing about the machine is I can test you, like I said, a wide variety, everything from viruses to diet to nutritional stuff to mental emotional things. And so, yes, it's the same thing that's working on the same reflexes as similar to that. Also, it's very similar to when doctors sometimes do hypnotherapy. What you're doing is you're working on the unconscious mind. You're putting someone in a trance-like state and you're talking to them about traumas that they've had in the past that they've suppressed or things that they're working on that they're suppressed. And there has been proven beneficial results with weight loss, with anxiety, mental, emotional, with hypnotherapy. And it again is working on the same thing. It's reacting with the body's unconscious mind and working on reflexes with the body. Right. No, it's true. So I would, I came to you also because as obviously, because I'm dealing with Lyme. So can you talk to us about Lyme and how it works? I mean, because it does come up. It, it came up with my test when I ran it with you. Yeah. Can you talk about how that works? And then also like what your protocol typically is if they do come back with a Lyme diagnosis? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of times people come in for vague symptomology, just fatigue sometimes, you know, people have been having fatigue and then they're like, oh, you know, you're stressed, you know, this is happening in your life that's going on. Oh, your labs look normal and fine. And a lot of doctors don't even test for Lyme. So people don't even think of Lyme. Maybe they haven't seen a physical tick on their body. Sometimes Lyme doesn't even register in their head that that might be what's going on and what's driving the bus in their body and why they're having so much inflammation, brain fog, all these other symptoms associated with Lyme. So, you know, what the machine does when, again, a with the wide variety of testing, what's included in that panel, one of the panels that we run on every single person is a Lyme panel. And so that not even tests for Lyme, but all the co-infections of Lyme. And so when you resonate with a frequency, depending on how severe it comes up, you could have maybe had not an active infection. So what happens is you go get the blood test and it doesn't come up positive. Maybe you only have one band and you need three bands according to the regulations to come up as Lyme positive, but then you're still having all these symptoms. So what we do is we even see if Lyme is resonating in your body, mean being hidden. It's a, it's a pathogen that is a spirochete that can also known as a stealth pathogen. So it hides in tissues and joints and all these areas. And so sometimes it's very hard to diagnose So when your body is even noticing it has a frequency and it's still resonating with that and you're still healing, even people who've been on Doxy and thought they've gotten it all, their body maybe is still holding on to some resonance, meaning that there's still some frequencies of that virus, either toxins from the virus. So anytime a virus will unload toxins into, and what that does is that that's what partly makes you sick is the toxins from that virus that it expresses. So you, maybe there's still toxins in the body, even though the virus might not still be active, there still could be those endotoxins, what they're called. So what we can see is that still in the body and depending on the severity we look at what our treatment plan exactly is. So if someone has a current Lyme infection, then we definitely want to put them, we definitely, we work with other physicians, medical physicians in the state of Connecticut who then can prescribe doxy or other 
conventional antibiotics while putting them also on herbs that are more natural antibiotics. And what we do, we find that be the most effective is pulsing. So what that means is we have them pulse a doxycycline higher dose for about two weeks. They get off the doxycycline then for two weeks. The virus thinks like, okay, this is done. This antibiotic is over. Then we hit it with the natural antibiotics for two weeks. Very high dose protocol. There's a specific lines a lot of times we use. It depends on what tests with the body best. So we do test all of our recommendations that we give to somebody, all the herbs that we give. We actually test physically with their body using the machine. So we find out which herb works better. Because if you look, there are a lot of different Lyme herbs and different, you know, a lot of different antibiotics too. So how do we know which one is going to be the best targeted for your body? We use the bioresonance and see which one resonates the best with that frequency of Lyme. So um, what we do then is we kind of figure out a pool protocol. So we have them pulse the natural antibiotics and then again, take a maybe a day or two break and then pulse again, the doxycycline or the conventional antibiotics. And we do that depending on the severity of the case, it can be anywhere from six, eight weeks to four or five months. You usually see pretty good um, success rate with that. Yes. We found that pulsing antibiotics instead of just being on conventional antibiotics, you know, because like I said, they are self pathogens. So yeah, you might kill 80% by being on that doxycycline, but you still have that 20%. And then guess what? They build resistance to that doxycycline. So they kind of survive and they become stronger and then they multiply. And so then just like antibiotic resistance that we know of with penicillin or other things, the same thing can happen with Lyme, these stealth pathogens. So we really got to trick it and play games with it and pretend like it's over and, you know, kind of things Mm -hmm. like that. And then we tend to hit more of that virus. Another thing we do to help bring out those pathogens during the cycling is we try to work on what's called hydrotherapy. So hydrotherapy is using the power of water to kind of help with stimulating the healing and immune system processes in our body. So one thing that we do is called a peat bath. I think we've spoken about this recently, but a peat bath, what you do is you take peat moss. So what peat moss is, is it is kind of like this little, I don't know, I want to say algae, but almost this like little greens that hold heat. It's very moisture rich. So when you put them in a bath, what happens is it holds that heat. If you know you've ever been in a bath and it's, you know, after two minutes or five minutes, you know, the bath is not even nearly as hot as it was when you first got in because it lets off steam very quickly. So what the peat does is it forms kind of a layer over the water and it keeps all that heat energy within. It holds that moisture and that heat energy within the water. So the water starts getting hotter and hotter. So what we do is we want to try to reach that temperature up to 100, 102, basically around 102.5. And we take the temperature regularly. And what we do is we're trying to drive because viruses don't like heat. They can't survive in hot temperatures. So we try to drive that virus out. And then from there, after the temperature has been reached, we put them in what's called a wet sheet pack. So what a wet sheet pack is, is that basically you're taking basically a bed sheet that is put in ice cold water. And we wrap a person basically in that ice cold. And we then put the wool blanket over it to keep that kind of cold energy within. And so we leave them in that until their skin or the cloth feels warm again. 
just, you know, just a body temperature. And so what that does is that cold stimulates your body to just like thermogenesis, like when you feel like you're getting the, when you're getting the goosebumps, when you're cold, your body is trying to energetically heat up the body because of the cold. So what it's doing is increasing circulation. So what happens is now we drove all them out. Then we have you on natural antibiotics or on conventional antibiotics and we're driving these viruses out and then we're increasing circulation because your body's going to be trying to heat itself up. So it's going to be moving blood, moving blood, moving blood. Mm-hmm. So all of this antibiotics are in your blood. Now the virus got driven out and then now the circulation is going to start moving all in your body to kind of hit that virus even more. So is that the same idea as like I've read about when you go into the saunas and then you go into a cold shower or can you do the same thing? Can you do this? Yep. Yep. So same thing. The only thing about saunas is sometimes, you know, you're getting physically hotter. If you're going not an IR sauna, just a regular sauna, you're getting physically hotter than your temperature is raising to, you know, a therapeutic range. You know, you're in a sauna, your temperature is probably not raising to 102.5. Maybe you're 99 or 100 or maybe even max 101 if you're really pushing yourself. But, you know, usually IR saunas, you can heat the body within better without actually getting that physical heat response where it's like, oh my God, it's so hot. I need to step out. I'm feeling faint or I need something like that. Um, So it's better. Yes. The same thing you can do with the water hydrotherapy you can do with IR sauna. And then again, taking a cold shower after. It has to be pretty fast after. Yeah, it definitely has to be because if your body cools down, you know, the pathogens are going to go back. So it definitely has to be within, you know, while your body's still having that high temperature. Right. Also, when you get into that cold cloth, it's going to feel better when you're really hot, you know, than when you're putting someone in a cold cloth and their body temperature, it's not going to be as enjoyable. Right. Do you recommend taking a kind of a binder or charcoal if you go in and doing this sequence? If you're working, trying to work on heavy metals and you, because a lot of times people who do have pathogens or have problems with chronic Epstein-Barr, chronic, chronic Lyme, chronic, all these other different viruses, a lot of times there is metal associations with it. So a lot of times metals feed viruses and, and basically also gut bacteria, like pathogenic gut bacteria. So when you're trying to work on someone's gut and you're trying to work on some someone, you know, little chronic Lyme, a lot of times there is heavy metal. So you would use a binder, but if someone doesn't have heavy metal toxicity or they've already worked on that, the binder is not necessarily going to help with the virus, but it will bind any metals or anything like that, which a lot of times is in conjunction with chronic, like I said, chronic infections. Right. Okay. So the last question I want to ask, we haven't really touched on too much is your homeopathy and how that works with the body. So homeopathy is um, using, it's by Dr. Hahnemann. It's been around since about the 19th century. And what Dr. Hahnemann was doing is looking at provings. And what provings mean is, is he would see someone have a symptomology. So say example, they have um, back then polio. So what were the symptoms that they were having? Did they have high fever? Did they get a rash? Did they get this? And what were the symptomology of it? So then he would take a tiny bit of like sputum from them or get a little bit of the virus somehow. And he would look at taking like versus like. So what he's trying to do is homeopathy is an energetic medicine, like you were talking about before. So what it looks at is frequencies again. So if someone's resonating at, let's say, uh, 180 hertz frequency, what homeopathy tries to do is give you a negative 180 
hertz frequency to bring you back to homeostasis, meaning kind of baseline, to bring it back normalcy of tissue and, and health. So what he would do is take these provings of when someone was sick and give them an antidote of that to basically the same thing of like when you get a venom, you know, bit by a snake and you get venom poisoning, you give someone the antidote to that and it basically wipes out that venom so that that person doesn't, you know, die from that toxicity. So the homeopathy works on the same thing. You look at someone's whole case. So you read the whole case and you see what remedy basically fits them best. So if someone wakes up and they, a typical one that a lot of people know is rust tox, which is used for poison ivy. So poison ivy also used for when person wakes up in the morning and they feel like their body's so tight and stiff in the morning. A lot of Lyme people feel that way. Sometimes they first get up in the morning and they just feel like her body's so achy and tight and stiff. And then as they get going during the day, it gets a little better. Maybe they still have that stiffness, achiness. They don't feel hundred percent, but in the morning they say, Oh, I feel the worst in the morning. Rust tox is a great remedy for that. And so they found that, you know, again, that poison ivy, because it originally rust tox came from poison ivy, when someone had poison ivy toxicity, not only did they get that rash-like thing, but they also got joint achiness, they felt that stiffness, and it was worse in the morning. So when you find someone's remedy, even though it's not related to poison ivy, you're looking at the whole case, mental, emotional, things that are going on with their head, how they feel, physical symptoms of their body, and you try to treat the person using what remedy fits most of their constitution. Right. That's great. And that's what's considered your constitutional remedy. They're so small, too, what you give. Like, you never think, can this really work? Like, a yeah, couple drops yeah. a day. And that's part of also what homeopathy is. It's using what's effective is using the minimum dose. So a lot of times I give my patients homeopathic remedies and I say, okay, take eight drops, 10 drops twice a day and put it in two ounces of water. Now, if you think about 10 drops, if you were to take 10 drops of an herb and put it in two ounces of water, you're like, how much of this am I really getting in to really have a major effect? If I have chronic Lyme and I feel like I'm so sick, how are 10 drops of something really going to make a difference? And so, especially when a lot of those people are taking 20 plus supplements and, you know, lots of different things are trying everything and it doesn't seem to be helping. So what the minimum dose does by even diluting it in water, what we have them do, you're giving them such a tiny dose that it actually finds to have maximum effectiveness because the lower the dose, also the kind of more strong the frequency is going to be. So it's actually like almost, you know, counterintuitive, almost like your TSH. You've ever gotten your thyroid test and it's like your TSH number was maybe 4.5, but you're considered hypothyroid. And you're like, oh, the number is higher, but I'm hypothyroid. So what that is, is because it's the negative feedback loop in your body. So, and so the same thing kind of happens with homeopathy. They find that that minimum dosage tends to have that maximum effectiveness. Right. Okay, great. This has been awesome. Is there any like last minute tips or advice or anything that we've missed that we haven't covered? Um, I recommend people to not, you know, give up and really try these natural therapies. I know a lot of times, you know, you see doctors and they're like, oh, no, the natural doesn't work or this or that. I, I really advocate for people to take their health into their own hands, really find out who can 
help guide them into other ways. Even if it's not right for you, I feel like, you know, giving it a shot, seeing what is out there is going to be only for your best interest. So, you know, yes, we all know the conventional is there and it does what it does and it helps when it's there. But for people who are chronic Limers, there's so much else out there. And I really recommend people just try to, you know, explore as much as possible. And thank you for having this blog and allowing people to get more information out there. You've done a lot of research and you've kind of gone and searched, like you said, and found all these things. And there's a lot of people out there that are struggling that don't know where to go. So I think it's great having blogs to bring awareness, to bring a multitude of different treatment options. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Carrie. And also anybody who wants to learn more, she has a website. It's um, Dr. Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-S-T-A-S-I-A-K.com. And that has all her information, her location, her contact info. Does the name of your machine on there? Well, I I don't remember if it was on there. Yep, it is. Yep. So it has, if you go under treatments or it might be, I think that's what it's labeled. It goes through the homeopathy. Like we talked about, it goes through the Asyra machine. It goes through the herbs and we also do some acupuncture. So it tells us all the services that we do offer. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and um, we will see you soon. Thank you so much. Each week, I will bring you different voices from the wellness community so that they can share how they help their clients heal. You will come away with tips and strategies to help you get your life back. Thank you so much for coming on, and I am so happy you are here. Subscribe now and tune in next week. You can also join our community at Lime360 Warriors on Facebook, and let's heal together. Thank you. Thank you.